On the Empire Podcast this week, we talked to two of the most dapper gents around, Jude Law, star of submarine drama Black Sea, and Carrie Elwes, here to talk about his new book about the Princess Bride. Inconceivable. All that and the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that thinks James Bond is playing Blofeld Inspector. Ooh, twist. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. We've hot-footed it straight from listening and watching, in fact, the Bond 24 announcement to record this show, and we will be discussing it all later on. When I say we, of course, I mean my colleagues of such lethal cunning, uh, all of whom, by weird coincidence, fit Bond archetypes to a T. First up, as our very own Bond girl, but not one of those Bond girls who winds up dead in the first act. Oh, no, 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 no. Instead, she's brainy, beautiful, and got a voice to die for. Very much like Dr. Christmas Jones. But I thought Helen O'Hara only came once a year. Oh, it's Helen O'Hara. God. How are you? Crumbs. Hello. I do like wearing a pair of hot pants when I'm engaging in nuclear physics. That's Same sure. here. I know, it's right? It's so weird. That's <laughs> crazy. So I've always weird. preferred Xenia on a top. But I'll take it. Next up is a man who's urbane, well-educated, likes the finer things in life, like, you know, subtitle films. So clearly, he's the bad guy. It's Phil Dissemblian. How are you? The bad guy. Or should I say, Blofeld Dissemblian, or Phil de Blofeld, or Ernst Stavro Dissemblian. That's much better. I'll do okay. that one. Call me Ernst. Call me Ernst. Uh, Ali Plum is going to be here. I had a whole thing written for him about how he was going to be Q. And do it anyway. I'll just... be Ali. All right. No, it's not even that good. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just, he's not here. Uh. Do you think that means he's the bad guy? I think so. I think so. Is he in a lair somewhere? We're setting him up for further films. Almost certainly that's what's happening. Uh, And if you're wondering at home whether that makes me James Bond, well, it's not for me to say, dear listener. It's not for me to say. Probably more Tanner than Bond, aren't I? (laughs) Quite like Tanner. What was the name of that Tanner as well? Sheriff. Uh, The the Sheriff is a strange... Sheriff Pepper. Oh, good one. Sheriff Pepper. Uh, He's a strange combination of Roscoe P. Coltrane and Boss Hogg from The Dukes of Hazzard. He is is Dukes of Hazzard, isn't he? He's in two Bond films, right? He is in two Bond films. Like the spit take guy. Indeed. I'd love to have been in that script meeting. Yeah, we love love Sheriff Pepper and his racism so much. We want to bring him back one more time. Anyway, you guys have been sending in questions all week uh, via the Twitter devices. Here's the first one from Alexander Parker, at Alexander Parker. He says, Star Wars fever is here. Hey, uh, I don't know what this could possibly be related to, but he asks, what are the best things about the prequels and the worst things about the original trilogy? That is such a good question. Mm. This question was given a lot of praise yesterday. We were discussing questions uh, in the Empire office and Ian Freer, who's uh, our resident Star Wars guy, he's, he's forgotten more about Star Wars than we'll ever know. He loved this question. It's a great question. He said, Yeah. Uh, best thing about the prequels, John Williams' music. Yeah, I was going to say Duel of the Fates specifically, but yes. Yeah. And the worst thing about the originals uh, was kind of the, the acting. <laughs> that's his Some answer. of it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not the Alec Guinness stuff. But that's, uh, that's, that's, go around, that's go around the table. There are only three of us this week. Mm. Sure. Uh, Helen, what's the, what are the best things or thing about the prequels? The prequels, I had written down Jewel of the Fates. Uh-huh. And then also Yoda with a lightsaber. Now, I know that CG Yoda is a controversial thing. Uh-huh. But think back to the first time you saw Yoda drawing a lightsaber and he's so pimp he doesn't even use his hands he's so pimp he's so cool then he's so cool he doesn't even use his hands he just pulls his lightsaber out of its scabbard with the force ah amazing that's okay so many poorly chosen words in that sentence but uh yeah Okay. okay yes anyway and then the worst thing about the originals i actually find the wipes in uh in a new hope uh 
distracting at first. Um, yeah, as in the wipe from one screen yeah, no, yeah, yeah. to another. It feels yeah. like somebody's just got a new toy and is using it all the time. And it, and it gets a little bit much at times. But it is part of the charm, so... Even that, I quite like. I love the, I love the, I love the wipes in Star Wars. Look, I'm just saying, I can't like, they're a wee bit editing. Over, oh my god! Anyway, they're a wee bit overused at the beginning. That's George Lucas's ex-wife you're slagging off there. Uh oh. Uh oh. Anyway, Phil, yeah, well, yeah. What do, you, what do you think? The worst things about the first films, incest is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Just in case anyone's in doubt. Can we just be absolutely clear here? There is no. Actual All incest right. in All the right. original Star Wars trilogy. Right. There yeah. is platonic kissing. There's that's fine. Yeah. Ooh, I know. There's certainly an intention to inst at it's one not, point. No, no. Because again, they don't know that they're brother and sister at that mm. point. If they had and they still went down that path, then that's icky, icky wrong. But they don't. I don't want this podcast to be to become sidetracked by chats <laughs> about the definition of incest. So it would be the latest in a series of podcasts. <laughs> we think we've already covered that. Yeah. Um, there are two very attractive mm. people in their early twenties who meet on. and they you know mm. they find a mutual ground. Mm. Yeah, Han Solo. Mm. Every once in a while, you'll be sitting at your desk at work, and suddenly you'll just hear from James Dyer's. He's not here, is he, James? He's not. No, Let's say no. Good from his computer emanates. Yup, nub. And he'd just sort of sit there and play Yub Nub to himself merrily on mm-hmm. the YouTubes. I would hate that, basically. Hate that. Hate that. Hate the whole Ewok party thing at the end. Oh. It's a bit like the sort of furrier version of the party they have in Matrix Revolution, which is like no party you'd ever want to go to. No. Terrible. That party does sound bad. It's a sucky party and there's no way to celebrate defeating a galactic force of the Empire's status. So you're, you're basically saying the Ewoks? Yeah, pretty oh. much. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. But I do like a lot of the Endor stuff, so it's a bit of a curious egg, that one, for me. Mm. Uh, the best thing about the... the pre- just the whole anticipation, I think, was mighty. You can slag them off, and we do on an almost weekly basis, but <laughs> the, the excitement levels of the trailer, and I wasn't working as a film journalist when the trailer for Phantom Menace came out, but I remember how exciting it was. The great poster, the great mm. teaser poster. Yeah. The, whole, the whole anticipation was a pleasure in itself, so you can't totally dismiss them. And sitting in the Odeon, is it Marble Arch, that big screen there, um, where I'd also watch Silence of the Lambs and having the same sense of wow and the music starts and the the scroll the first three or four lines of the scroll was, were fantastic and then it got into like quite detailed tax and tariff based information <laughs> and it lost me that was the end mm. nothing good after that that's interesting is that bad? no it's not bad that's how it's I feel it's not bad at all I don't ever want to watch them again what the oh, prequels? Harsh. no Liam Neeson's hair extensions and, and Ian McDermott as Palpatine I thought he was very good Yes. And I learned a lot about tariffs. He's fantastic. It's like, you know, when Ian, Ian Fear was saying the acting is terrible. Uh, Ian Latham was saying it as well. The acting's terrible in the original trilogy. It's not. It's not terrible. Especially, I think they were specifically talking about Return of the Jedi. It's not. McDermott is fantastic in that film. He absolutely makes that film. The whole Vader look, Emperor stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, 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 it's wonderful. Best thing about the prequels. Yeah, I like John Williams' score for all three films, but there's a big difference in the way music is used in the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy it is wall to wall music in the prequel trilogy yeah. so even if we were just having a conversation right now and I were to say you know in the original trilogy this would be silent or be no music at all but in the prequel I'd be going hey Helen oh, nice pair of glasses you got there in your desk and it'd be going underneath it'd be going underneath and you just go you don't need it you don't need it mate just get rid of it 
But, you know, he's done some amazing, amazing stuff in the uh, prequel trilogy, specifically, of course, Duel of the Fights. Yeah. Um, which, Phil, is a Spurs fan you must love. Don't Spurs walk yes. out of White Hart Lane to Duel of the Fates completely and utterly misunderstanding what that song <laughs> represents on a weekly basis? Uh, to be honest, actually, what is pretty bad about the originals, the, the, the polyesteriness of some of the costumes is distracting now when because you, you're watching them in really high def and you're seeing mm. just... It looks like those costumes itch. It looks like those costumes, you know the way some materials are like running your fingers down a blackboard? It looks like if you ran your fingers down some of those costumes, you'd have the same effect on yourself and then you shudder. I mm. shudder anyway. That's pretty bad. Uh, I like the costumes. Uh, probably the worst thing about the, uh, the originals, and, and it's such an easy answer to this, but is the, 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 the re-releases, the special editions. Not just because of little egregious things like putting Hayden Christensen in at the end of Return of the Jedi when that makes absolutely no sense within the... the the chronology of the of the of the series, uh, but little things like Jedi Rocks, a song I love, but the CG is terrible. The CG is terrible. Size noodles doesn't look real. Anyway, that's enough of that one. <laughs> uh, let's move on to another question from a podcast regular NC Low, who asks, "Oh, this is a real Sophie's choice. If you could only watch one franchise film in 2015, which would you choose?" So you can't watch Avengers two, and Bond 24 and Star Wars 7 and Mission Impossible 5 and whatever else is out there. Jurassic World. Jurassic World, Jurassic Park Terminator. 4, Fast and Furious 7, Terminator 5. You have to watch just one. Otherwise, you'll be boiled alive. Hello, my name is Helen. I'm a parody of myself and I'll be watching Avengers. <laughs> uh, okay, why? Much as I adore Star Wars, and I do, uh, much as I adore mo many of those franchises, including Fast and Furious, uh, it's Avengers that I have to see on the big screen um, because I love them a lot individually mm -hmm. and as a collective and, mm -hmm. and of course I you know worship at the Temple of Whedon you do indeed worship at yep. the Temple of Whedon but think of the fun we have high-fiving each other in yeah, Fast and Furious screens true. we do actually yeah. a lot um, and I am looking forward to that Chris you know I am yeah. Um, but I wonder if we'll have as much fun this time because we'll be weeping and wailing and we genuinely it will be emotional it will be sad. actually seeing it this time so yeah. uh, that may mean that there's less high-fiving than usual. Hmm. Phil, uh, I believe Pavel Pavlikovsky's working on Ida too. Ida harder. Ida harder. Even now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dard M Brothers, uh, two, another two days and one night. <laughs> um, two boys on two bikes. <laughs> oh, my word. That's a tandem. <laughs> or just one boy. Yeah, two boys and one bike. Or Anyway, let's come back to that. Um, Star Wars. Star Wars. It's a tough question, though, because they're all going to be, really be fun, mostly. It's like, you know, oh, God, if I watch Star Wars, I won't be able to watch Terminator Genesis, and that looks really good. Did I? Tickly. Oh, I didn't sound oh. sarcastic again, did I? Oh, no. Well, anyway, um, so, yeah, Star Wars. Why? Why Star Wars? Why? Oh, it's just, I, the trailer sold me completely. There was a trailer? <laughs> I missed that. Uh, hey, that could uh, be a nice segue. It could be a nice segue. Oh, really? uh, yeah. I, I, I always I, felt like it was going to be it was going to be a good movie, and I've got a really strong feeling that it will be a good movie, so I'm going to go watch it. Definitely. Excited. Very excited. I sound like a child when I said that. <laughs> movie, go that's, see. But that's what Pick Star Wars does to people. Yeah, it's true. Like last year, uh, last week when the trailer came out on uh, Friday, you know, everyone gathered around in the office and at the end of the 88 seconds, there was a spontaneous round of applause. There hasn't been a spontaneous round of applause in the Empire office since I managed to throw a bit of rubbish in the bin in one go, and that was back in 2010, probably. We were cynical a lot, and it, it broke down our barriers and made us feel like children again. Because you watched it like 74 times over that weekend. Did you applaud it every single time? 
I, 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 I gave it a standing ovation every single time, uh, which was tricky on the tube. But uh, I showed it. My, my wife is not a Star Wars fan. Uh, she's a, she's a, a trekker, yeah. or a trekkie. She's not a warsy or a warrer. Um, so she doesn't know anything about Star Wars. In fact, I, I, sh I, I sat her down a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and showed her all six Star Wars films because she really hadn't seen them. She now claims to have had no knowledge of that. So she's literally asking questions there, <laughs> just designed to aggravate me. Like, what's that? Well, that's the Millennium Falcon. But but what is it? It's the most famous spaceship of all time. Uh, you know, who's that? What's well, a stormtrooper? What's a stormtrooper? No, are they the good guys? No, they're not the good guys. Uh, although from a certain point of view. Perhaps. Anyway, uh, yeah, but I don't know. Hmm. But anyway, the question is, <sighs> Sophie's choice. Yeah, Helen, save a seat at the Avengers. Hey, exciting. Yeah. But let's be honest, we're going to see all of them. We will see <laughs> all of God. them. And obviously, you know, yeah. you know, it's kind of temper for me as well because <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I was on set of oh Avengers gosh. Age of Ultron. I don't know if I've mentioned that. Phil, so kill it feels, him. It feels like something that I should watch just for completion's sake. You just, you know, kill him right anyway, now. Uh, if you have any questions for us, do send them in. Don't kill me, Phil. If you have any questions, uh, do send them in. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. Uh, Facebook us. We're Empire Magazine on Facebook. And you can email us as well. Podcast at EmpireOnline.com. Right. Time now for our first interview. Carrie Elwes shot to fame as a dashing Wesley in The Princess Bride. And in the 27 years since, he's carved out a nice career with plenty of memorable supporting turns and leads in the likes of Saw and Robin Hood, Men in Tights. But it's Princess Bride to which he returns with his first book, As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride. He came into the booth recently to talk to Ali and myself. Now, at one point here, we get to talk about Columbo. Now, regular listeners of the podcast will know I'm a bit of a Columbo freak, Columbophile, if you will. He is asked about his favourite Columbo episode, he goes on to describe an episode starring John Cassifetti's. He actually gets the wrong episode. He conflates two episodes. I didn't want to correct him at the time because how do you correct Carrie Elwes? You don't. How do you do it? It would be inconceivable. You don't. You, yeah, you can't. So he gets the London episode of Columbo mixed up with the John Cassifetti's episode of Columbo. So there you go. Enjoy the interview. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Kerry Elwes, uh, actor, of course, but now author of <laughs> As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, not a problem. Welcome back to London. Thank Flying you. visit. Fabulous. Does it feel good to be back? It's good. It feels good. The book is great. I love what you've done with the audiobook version. Thank you. Uh, if you can explain what you've done, because it's a sort of reunion of sorts. That's right. In a way, you brought how many people back from, from the film? Well, I the idea behind the book and then obviously the audiobook was to make this the definitive making of mm -hmm. book of the, of the film. And so I was incredibly lucky and uh, blessed to get the cast and the filmmakers to be involved in the book so that we have like sidebars um, throughout the book where you have, you know, Robin Wright and Wally Shawn and Mandy Patinkin giving their perspective of a particular memory of mine. So that's kind of fun. They all came in and did the yeah. audiobook too, which is great. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. So were they, were they all in the room at the same time? Was it a big, <laughs> big Princess Bride reunion or was it very much they came in, did their things and then they, left? The, everyone's so busy, it's, it's hard to get everyone in the, in the same room at the same time. But uh, no, usually when you do an audiobook anyway, it's, it's, you know, they record one person at a time. Yeah. I've got a list of questions but sure. from somebody called Helen who couldn't make it today but is a big fan. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, she'll be quite embarrassed to hear me saying it this way. But anyway, she has a list of questions. I'm going to ask them in no particular order. 
this is actually not about Princess Bride. It's about Robin Hood men in tights. <laughs> Unlike other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. Yes. Was that your own idea? If so, congratulations, because it is genius. Um, I'd like to take credit for it. It is, in <laughs> fact, from the genius mind of Mel Brooks. It was a wonderful joy to work with. I mean, my thanks to Princess Bride, mm. it launched the career I have today, and that gave me the opportunity to work with Mel. I mean, without the Princess Bride, I would never have done that movie. How many of your fellow Screen Robin Hoods have you met? I did meet Kevin Costner, mm -hmm. and uh, he was very funny about it, actually. He pointed at me and went, oh, you. <laughs> 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 and uh, no, he's got a good sense of humor. Yeah, uh, It's interesting because we, uh, we asked people on Twitter, our readers on Twitter, whether they would, uh, you know, had any questions for you. They did, you know, in, in their droves. But uh, Tom Riley, the actor Tom Riley, who played Robin Hood in a recent episode of Doctor Who, okay. sent in a nice comment and said, just thank Carrie. Oh. I owe him for 50% of this. If Errol Flynn's in next week, thank him for the rest. God uh, bless him. So that's quite nice. That's nice yeah. of him. What a sweet guy. <laughs> so you, I take it you don't really keep abreast of developments in the Robin Hood world. You don't, you don't um, watch... I don't a have a Google people. alert for Robin Hood, no. <laughs> no, I don't. What do you have Google alerts for? Um... For me, it's more about, actually, at this point, it's about uh, book sales. <laughs> <laughs> How well we're doing. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've got another one from Helen here, which is, on Princess Bride, you broke your toe and accidentally got knocked unconscious by Christopher Guest. How have you fared on film since? <laughs> Has your luck improved? Much better. I was particularly accident-prone on The Princess Bride uh, for some reason. It's funny, you know, when I broke my toe, I was in costume. And I had to go to the hospital and they had to put a proper splint on it. And uh, when I got knocked out by Chris Guest, and by the way, that's the scene in the movie where he knocks me out. I literally was knocked, <laughs> knocked out. Um, I woke up in the, same, <laughs> in the same room with the same doctor. And when I came to while he was sewing up my forehead, he goes, you're pretty accident prone, aren't you, Zorro? <laughs> 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 so uh, yeah, no, f I've fared much better since, thank God. Okay, yeah. so you haven't been back uh, so far. Any, touch wood, so, so far. far. Yeah, touch wood indeed. Just in terms of writing a book, you know, because the 25th anniversary came away a couple of years ago. Right. Did that set the spark off in your head? It did. Yeah, it did. I, I was so touched by the incredible reception that we had at Lincoln Center, and. Uh, because everybody knew every line and was shouting it out in the audience and clapping when every new character came on the screen. And we were all asked at the end of the screening at, a, at the Q&A uh, what our favorite moment was for making of the film. And I realized, you know, I couldn't encapsulate it really in one single moment. The, the whole journey for me was so joyous. Mm. And that's what I wanted to share with the fans. And how was the experience of getting it all down on paper? It was a journey in of mm -hmm. itself. I've never written a book before. Yeah. And so this was an, uh, it takes a village. You know, I had amazing editors. Um, I had a wonderful co-writer, Joe Layden, mm -hmm. who, who was already a New York Times bestseller list, so that helped. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was an incredible education for me. I've never written a book before. Did you have to start over and over again? Did you get writer's block at any point? Uh, no. No, I never had writer's block, but... Um, I had trouble making the deadlines <laughs> because I was shooting movies at the same time. I don't recommend trying to write a book while you're shooting a, uh, films. That's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine it wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, we're writers as well, and uh, when we tend to go back over stuff that we've written, say, several months after after the fact, 
we tend to see things we'd like to change. That's true. When you were recording the audiobook, did you see things, things you wanted to change? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's too late by then. <laughs> uh, not in the audiobook, surely not. Surely no, in the audiobook you can, can just riff and do what you want. Well, kind of, but not really. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's funny. I, I, f- I feel the same way when I watch my own work, Chris, on, the, on film. I can only see my mistakes. Oh, really? Um, but the book was, when you, it's funny, when you read it, it's different than when you read it out loud. So I learned a valuable lesson from that. It's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. The valuable lesson is I should have sat down and read the book out loud before I turned in the final draft, <laughs> which if I ever do another one, that's what I'll do. I, I love the idea of an improvised audiobook where it's just four people in a room going, shall we write this thing? <laughs> let's, let's get going. That's hilarious. William S. Burroughs style. Yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah totally. Just, yeah. But going back to I Can Speak With An English Accent, how often do fans come up to you with their mobile phones and say, could you please do my voicemail message? I get a couple of those. I get mostly ask me to say, as you wish. You just, just flat out that. Yeah. Yeah, which is great, really. I mean, I can think of, you know, worse lines to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, that's mainly that one. I didn't, the film didn't really have a big success initially at the box office. So the film had a delayed success it was it was thanks to vhs that that we found our audience people started renting it and then buying it and then giving it as gifts to friends and family and then suddenly this film that had been for lack of a better description mostly dead for (laughs) 10 years suddenly came back to life so it was a it was a wonderful thing your voice has been on the justice league cartoon as aquaman correct first of all yes Hats off to the casting director. That was an inspired choice. Second Thank of you. All, have you ever been tempted to get yourself involved in any other type of comic muck? Comic muck? Comic, comic muck. Yes, muck. I try to stay away from comic muck. Comic? Uh, <laughs> I, I said to my agent, no comic muck for me. <laughs> <laughs> I only want classy comics. No comic <laughs> muck. Don't be sending me any more of that. I, no, I can see you as desperate. Aquaman, I, felt, I thought that was interesting doing Aquaman because when I did research for it, I realized there's not a lot of crime underwater. No. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have crustaceans rebelling or, you know. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> True. You know what I mean? Aquaman, he, he poses yeah, a lot he, of questions. How does he What, what does he, deal yeah. with crabs? Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know what's cool about doing um, voiceover is that you don't have to shave going to work. And I like that aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly you, you've <laughs> taken that to heart and run with it. <laughs> Ali, yeah. Yeah, no one. <laughs> Ali currently wears, isn't wearing any trousers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I never do. When, whenever I do my improvised audiobooks, I never wear any clothes. <laughs> oh. uh, um, we, we have, um, there's a couple of questions, uh, as I said, from Twitter. This is a nice one from a guy called At Champ Celluloid. It's not his real name. Okay. Uh, I hasten to add. Uh, he says, what book would you read to your, your children or grandchildren when they were sick? Princess Bride, As You Wish, or something else? Read one of your own. <laughs> why, why not? I would read The Princess Bride, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't beat that for a, a, a great story to tell your kids, you know? Mm. Um, I love to read to my daughter. So we read, uh, the last book I just read to her was Shel Silverstein, The Giving Tree, mm. which is very sweet. Yeah, I, I would think The Princess Bride when she gets older. She couldn't appreciate it now. She's a little too young. Sure, sure. Would you ever read As You Wish? I would hope she would read that on her own. <laughs> I don't think it would. I don't think it would work having Daddy read about himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then that Daddy did this this day. It was fascinating. Your father had a fascinating day at work. 
That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah that would be. <laughs> There's your audiobook. There's your sequel right there. Um, there's another question from at Sumba Sumba 5. Again, probably not the real name. Uh, in my favorite film, Glory, how many times did you have to run up and down that beach and for how long? Oh my gosh, he's, that's a very good question at Sumba. We spent a month on that beach. Um, first of all, it took us, I think, six months to get clearance to shoot there mm-hmm. because um, an environmental group was protesting because there were... Uh, I think egrets or some kind of birds were nesting on that beach and we we were disrupting their nesting season. And so we had to actually, the, the, the studio actually had to pay for the nests and the birds to be relocated. So that was number one. Yeah. So that took a while. And then it was an enormously effects-laden scene because it was a storming of, of um, Fort Sumter and it required, you know, it was before CGI. And so we literally had a cast of hundreds and hundreds of people running up and down this beach, storming this castle, <laughs> storming the castle. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and uh, it took a long time, but it was beautifully done. And we, it was really an incredible film to work on. Yeah. I imagine there was a, a killer in the thighs. When- it was definitely hard running on sand wearing thick Civil War boots. Mm. Uh, and, and, and also in the heat, these woolen uh, uniforms that we were wearing. So, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of challenges, just to bring it back to Princess Bride, yeah. uh, I've been told that the sword fight almost doubled in length just a few days before you started to shoot it. That's right. Well, what happened was when Rob was first shown the fight sequence by our fabulous tutors, Bob Anderson and Peter Diamond, they showed it to him at half speed. And so when they timed it at that, when he showed it to them, or when they showed it to him, rather, It looked a lot longer than it really was. So by the time Mandy and I had rehearsed it over a period of months, we got it down to like a minute. (laughs) 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 We were all over the place. I mean, just so fast. And uh, when we were done, we were panting. and We walked up to Rob. We were like, so what do you think? And Rob was scratching his beard. He went, that's it. And we went, what do you mean that's it? Yeah, that's it. He goes, guys. I built this huge set for you here. I mean, look at it. This is the Cliffs of Insanity, the top of the cliffs. (laughs) Look at all the trees and the sand and the rocks. We can't have you be in here for a minute. Go back and add another two. So we had to go back and add this whole sequence of uh, fighting up the uh, ruined castle tower. Mm -hmm. And then we we brought in an acrobat to come and do that wonderful swing. And so that was definitely, yeah, that was another challenge. My favorite bit was the whole thing, really. I couldn't, you know, oh, wait, I'll tell you what my favorite moment is. My favorite moment is when I say, get used to disappointment to, to Mandy. And Mandy does this wonderful throwaway bit where he goes, huh? Like that, just nothing. It's like a little kind of like, huh? It's hilarious for me. I love it. There's an amazing, possibly apocryphal Peter Fox story that he used to, at dinner parties, take out his glass eye and put it in the soup of the person next to him. For sure. Uh, did that, I'm not saying that I happened mean, to you, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I imagine that's true. It sounds like one of those, you know, urban legends, but I, I suspect, he, you know, he's a pretty funny guy. He was a pretty funny guy. Yeah. I can see him doing that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. You say you grew up on Colombo. There's no yeah. chance you have a favorite episode. Or the yes, one... I do. You do? Tell yes, me. Yes, I do. John Casavetti's. I'll never forget it. It was brilliant. And Casavetti's, of course, is playing the killer. And he strangled a woman who was wearing pearls. And uh, and I think he used he strangled her with a uh, with an umbrella, and Colombo couldn't prove it. He was stumped because Casavetti's had 
really been meticulous about not leaving any clues behind. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, uh, Columbo had a pearl in his hand and he flicked it with his thumb right into the umbrella that was in the umbrella stand. So when he took out the umbrella and opened it, the pearl fell out. And I was just blown away by it. I was like, that's so cool. And I loved, by the way, Casavetti is one of my favorite actor-directors. I mean, he's just brilliant Mm. to watch. Yeah. What's interesting about that episode is uh, basically Columbo is quite corrupt at that point. Correct. He, <laughs> he's basically basically he, <laughs> he broke the law to, to catch the bad guy. But that's fine. It was the seventies. It was a different time. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, Simple as that. It's not like he put an innocent person behind bars. No, he, he got the it, right yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Whatever yeah. works. And uh, just we've got to let you go in a second, Carrie. But uh, you said if you do another book, yeah. Are there plans to do another book? Or have you, uh, um, would it be something that again looks back at your back hackle? I don't know. Or? That would be up to the publishers, really. Yeah. Uh, you know. But we're so blessed with how this book has uh, been received so far. I mean, to make the New York Times bestseller is just, I mean, it's beyond my wildest dreams, really. I don't think any of us anticipated that. So we'll see. I don't know. Can we suggest Ow My Leg, The Making of Soul? <laughs> Ouch My Foot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that's do. good yeah All right, that's good, a good idea get Chris. cracking and we'll okay. see you next year <laughs> brilliant Carrie Elvis thank been a pleasure so thank much. you so much pleasure. thank you thank you brilliant. thank you guys movie news time now it's been a big week Star Wars trailer here all sorts of other stuff there but that's start with the big news we've uh, we've just watched I don't think Helen you did and I don't think you probably would have done anyway because you're not disposed towards Bond uh, but we've just watched the Bond 24 announcement at the Pinewood Studios the 007 stage out there Sam Mendes brought on his cast, his stellar cast, Daniel Craig as James Bond, Christoph Waltz as Blofeld. Christoph Waltz as not Blofeld, Oberhauser is his name. The likes of Monica Bellucci, Lea Seydoux, Andrew Scott alongside the usual suspects. Uh, Dave Bautista's in there as well. Ray Fiennes, Naomi Harris, Rory Kinnear and Ben Wishaw all returning as well. The film is called, in case you've been living under a rock, Spectre which has very interesting connotations for fans of the Bond franchise. Of course, it starts filming on Monday. We're filming in locations all over the world, from uh, Croydon to Axminster. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's about a, a secret from Bond's past, which, comes, which returns to haunt him. Again. Is that right? Again? Another yeah. One. And he, he uncovers, he investigates a sinister terrorist organization. What could that terrorist organization be called? I don't know. Shall I read out what it says? A cryptic message. Here's the official synopsis. A cryptic message from Bond's past sends him on a trail to uncover a sinister organisation. While M battles political forces to keep the Secret Service alive, Bond peels back the layers of deceit like an overripe Satsuma to reveal the terrible truth behind Spectre. Spectre. Two questions. First of all, did they really say overripe Satsuma or did you add that in? I might have embellished it slightly. (laughs) I was just interested, but well done. Secondly, um, I don't feel like any government in the world right now is getting rid of their secret services. So I'm I'm already a little bit, you know, sceptical. However, um, Monica Bellucci, I think, is amazing. So I hope that she will be Blofeld and uh, Christoph Waltz will be a red herring. Several things about Blofeld to discuss. Uh, it's very, very interesting. The film's called Spectre, of course. Spectre is the organisation that Bond fought quite often in the early movies, especially mm-hmm. the Connery films. Moore did come up against Spectre from time to time. He dropped Blofeld down a chimney in the beginning of Four Your Eyes Only. Let's not forget. <laughs> what an ignominious end for one of the greatest screen villains of all time. In a wheelchair. <laughs> He's in a wheelchair. He gets picked up by a helicopter and dropped down a chimney. Um... 
<laughs> and that's the more serious Project Warp Bond as well. So Blofeld, Ernst Stavro Blofeld is the head of Spectre. He's the Dr. Evil uh, inspiration. He's the bald guy with the cat and the, and the what's he called, those Nehru suits? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's one of the greatest screen villains of all time. He is the Joker to Bond's Batman, if you will. So it's been rumoured for a long time, Christoph Waltz's involvement in this movie was rumoured about two, three weeks ago, Baz yeah. Bambi Boy of the Daily Mail broke it. And he said unequivocally in his piece that he will be playing Blofeld. Yeah, and he's a he's usually a very reliable yes. source of Bond news. He's very plugged into this. Yeah. And a few days ago, the rumor was that uh, rumor broke that it was going to be called Spectre. So Spectre, you put two and two together, you think Spectre, Blofeld, and then Christoph Waltz comes out on stage. Sam Mendes didn't even say the name of the character, but the official 007 Twitter feed confirmed that he's playing a character called Oberhauser. Now can go one of several ways, I guess. He actually is genuinely playing a character called Oberhauser. He is not Blofeld. Sure. And he is a stepping stone to Blofeld in the same way, I guess, that Dr. No uh, was a stepping stone and we And we thought that um, Mr. White, wasn't it, in Casino Royale? We thought he might be yes. a stepping stone to... Um, something. Something, and, yeah. and he kind of wasn't. Well, they kind of completely ditched that storyline yeah, with yeah, Quantum and the whole idea. Or he is Blofeld... And they're just lying to us in the same way that um, John Harrison and Khan and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they're pulling a Harrison. Yeah. Or he's not Blofeld at all and there is no Blofeld and we're just going to wait a few more movies to see him. But Mm. it feels to me that it's going to be, he's Blofeld. At some point in the movie he'll be be revealed as Blofeld. I just wish they'd come out and said. I just wish they'd come out, you know, they've already said Spectre, Sam Mendes with a little smirk in his face said Bond fans will know what that means. Um, And I just kind of wish if he were Blofeld they would just say, yeah, it's Bond versus Blofeld. Get excited. In a, year's, in a year's time, you will see Bond's nemesis back on the big screen, which we haven't been able to see for a long, long time because there's been a lawsuit that's been snagged up in a sort of tangled up in a legal snafu mm-hmm. because Kevin McCrory, the, the guy who produced Thunderball and the official, unofficial Bond movie, Never Say Never Again, had claim over Spectre and the Blofeld character. And that lawsuit was resolved in 2013. So now they can use Spectre again. Presumably, where Quantum sprang from as a kind of yeah. quasi-spectre. Absolutely. And I still want them to bring that back because I'm still just frustrated by that movie, but I guess that's that's consigned. I think Quantum of Solace now, in a weird way, feels almost like a movie that you didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't exist. It's and a free you just kind of skip just over it. jettison from the Bond universe. <laughs> yeah, it is in a way. It wouldn't kill them to tie it in again. I mean, if they really wanted to, I don't think. It wouldn't be too difficult because it didn't make any sense. So, sure. you know. But then again, you look at all the Bond films, apart, you know, apart from uh, the odd one or two, it's very rare that a Bond film uh, is episodic in that nature. It's very rare that an event in one Bond film carries over to another Bond film. Obviously, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, he gets married and, you know, if this is a spoiler for a film made in 1967, I mm. apologise, but you know his wife gets killed at the end of the movie by Blofeld. Mm. Oh my God. Oh my and goodness. then uh, at the beginning of For Your Eyes Only, the Moore Bond is at his wife's grave, grave uh, side and, and then it all kicks off and he drops Blofeld down the chimney. Uh, but that's very rare. Sure, it's sure. very rare that you know, that happens. And so every Bond film was a standalone until that point. So in that mm. way, Quantum of Solace really isn't that different from the norm. And it's a very bad Bond film as well, so it's maybe one that you really shouldn't go back and see. And maybe they're doing the right thing by going, we've had three Daniel Craig films, two of them have been belters. Let's concentrate on those, shall we? Yeah. Good idea, probably. But, you know, it did feel like it was was supposed to be part of a trilogy and there was no third film. No, agreed. Which is weird. Um, But... This one, just, I don't know why you mentioned on Majesty's Secret Service, it's probably the snowy locales they're talking about shooting in, in Croydon, obviously, but also in... 
the Austrian Alps. So, you know, some, some of the old school bond skiing type and tobogganing type activities. <laughs> We'd hoped there'll be some tobogganing. Um, I, I don't know. The Inception obviously riffed on, on a Majesty's Secret Service quite a lot with mm. the snowy stuff. So I wonder, um, Bond muscling back into that, Mm. that Nolan's already kind of modernised and used. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, and also, of course, this will uh, next year be following Everest. So we'll have seen what will hopefully be some really good snowy mountain action quite recently at that point. So they'll, they'll, they may be well be on the lookout to make sure that they don't sort of repeat beats. Yeah. What we might see there. But presumably it'll be a very different affair. That's actual climbers, you know, in the real world as we know it. And, and Bond is something slightly different. But, yeah. Yeah. I... Th- I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sold on this. Yeah. It sounds like I think it's in safe hands. It's in the same hands as as Skyfall. Different um, DP, different editor, but otherwise, yeah. You know, otherwise, the same pretty guys. much the same guy. Yeah. The DP, he's got an awesome name and is a very talented DP. Yeah, uh, Hoyt van Hoytema. Hoyt, yes, yeah, Chris Nolan's DP ah, on yeah, Interstellar. Interstellar. Yeah, taken over from Roger Deakins, who made Skyfall probably the best looking Bond film that's ever been. Uh, of course, there's there's a uh, you know. I could honestly I could talk for hours about this, but there's 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 a pressure in this movie in a way that there hasn't been with any of the other films. Because Skyfall made a billion dollars at the box office was the first Bond film to do so, and it suddenly ended that that kind of rarefied air of the mega franchise, which has never really been. It's been huge, and everyone loves Bond, but not everyone. <laughs> 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 Helen is very own blow felt. Um, but you know, now there's a pressure to hit a billion again. There's a pressure to to achieve and to, to match Skyfall's success. Mm. And, you know, I, I just hope it doesn't cave in under under that pressure. But uh, for me, massive excited. This cast is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Mm. Uh, you know, you have a double Oscar winner as, as the bad guy, continuing the recent run of European villains that go up against uh, Daniel <laughs> Craig. What is it about that? You know, it's like, when was the last time there was a real, proper American villain for Bond to go up against? An American villain. An American villain. I've never Bond heard of such against. a thing. I'm just accessing my Bond database <laughs> right now. The last American baddie would have been in The Living Daylights. It would have been Joe Don Baker in The Living Daylights. No. Yes, because Sanchez isn't American in License to Kill. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So it's always an exotic European, usually always anyway, an exotic European they're going up against. That's very interesting to me. Monica Bellucci, we're guessing, will be a fan fatale that... Bond will become dangerously attracted to and she'll wind up dead I'm, the first time. <laughs> no, I genuinely am hoping she, she pulls a Sophie Marceau and t- turns out to actually have a role. That yeah. would be exciting for me. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, because Skyfall's women were not exactly treated brilliantly. One ended up dead and the other one... No, two ended up dead and the other one ended up saying, oh, no, I'm not really good at the action stuff. I'll just sit here behind a desk. So, uh, you know, I'd quite like to see the women having a bit more to do this time. Well, this is the one that Naomi Harris is supposed to get. Get 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 her action on for, isn't it? Yes. As money penny, you're supposed to get up from behind the desk and didn't, didn't they say up. that was last time? Yes, they did. Okay. But they mean it this time. Right. No, they didn't say it last time because last time last they time introduced they were, her. Yes, and there were all these stories about her doing lots of action, having trained in fights and stunts and all the rest, and then what does she do? She turns up and she shoots Bond by accident. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think they could do better, and I hope that Monica Bellucci will be the one to do it because she's awesome. And also searingly hot. Can't argue. Yeah, can't argue with that. Really, it's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting indeed. Um, Looking at the, the the synopsis, the cryptic message 
from Bond's past. I think it's an email from Blofeld going, it's like Hello. on Friends Reunited, if that yeah. still exists, he's or are you, <laughs> a cryptic Facebook message. <laughs> Blofeld's on MySpace. Yes. I got that picture of us when we were really drunk that time, you take yeah. your pants off. A cryptic Facebook poke from the past. <laughs> I was going to say, it would probably involve Ben Wishaw early, early on as Q decrypting it. Oh, yeah. Getting involved in the decryption in a kind of, hopefully a giant imitation game mm. style device. But if it's a Facebook message, you probably won't need that. Yes. Just read it. Yes, I imagine you, <laughs> I imagine you would. But it wouldn't be cryptic. Cri- Let's move on from that. A cryptic DM from the past. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Wait, Attack. Jobs movie. <laughs> Steve Jobs movie. Hooray. There's very little news on that front, I'm afraid. Although Christian Bale has been promoting Exodus and he's explained why he turned turn it down. Great script, he said. But sometimes you have to realise that you're not the right piece of the puzzle. Apparently. Fair enough. So there you go. Um, Suicide Squad casting has been announced. I know we've all got some feelings about something we didn't realise we had feelings about, which is Suicide Squad, which I'd never really heard of until about a month ago. Mm. Um, people that we thought were going to be in it are going to be in it. Jared Leto's playing the Joker. Will Smith is on board. Tom Hardy, Margot Robbie, Jai Courtney, Cara Delevingne uh, are, all, are, all, are all involved. It's a good cast. It's, it's a, a very good cast. Yeah, it's, it's a really... So, it's a surprisingly solid cast in, in the sense that it's a surprisingly a big couple of names in there mm. um, for what is, you know, sensibly a, a, an ensemble piece. Um, I think, Chris, you were the one who, who immediately reacted going, are they going to spin these guys off? Uh, particularly Will Smith's character. Yeah, well, yeah. I slept on it for a bit and thought about that. Yeah, it seems it seems weird to me that I don't imagine that Will Smith and Tom Hardy, two huge A-list stars in particular, uh, have signed on for one movie. It just feels to me like... Mm. But, but at the same time, it would be weird to me that a film that has been compared to The Dirty Dozen by its own director in the past. Mm. It, it would be weird to me if it didn't have a body count. Now, you can't kill the Joker. And if you do kill the Joker, he certainly shouldn't die in a film that, that Batman isn't, isn't in. in. Yeah. Uh, so let's say, let's take him to one side and say the Joker is not going to really fit in with the rest of the team. He One of these things is not like the others. These are all bad people, but the Joker is something else. And that's that's going to be cool. So maybe, maybe Tom Hardy and Will Smith have signed on knowing that their characters will get killed in the context of this film. If, it's, just, it's a film called Suicide Squad, right? Won't be. So you'd imagine. Yeah. Are you think they're going to change the title? Yeah. You think they are? I can't, yeah. I can't see a film called Suicide Squad. It's a fair, it's a fair it. point. It's a fair point. Putting the word suicide in any title is going to get some people's back up, backs up and it's going to be quite contentious. But anyway, it's a film called Suicide Squad. The, the, the team itself will be called the Suicide Squad, right? Okay. So you'd expect a couple of them at least to be suicided at some point. The idea is that they're on a, they're on a death of glory mission, they're on a they're do or die mission. Well, in that case, the, the obvious way to do it, it seems to me, would be to have the Joker and Harley Quinn... Um, or the Joker alone, but probably with Harley Quinn because she's massively popular, I think, with fans. Double cross everybody else mm-hmm. uh, and leave them for dead or near it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Will Smith and Tom Hardy's characters who are Deadshot and... Rick Flag. Rick Flag, um, you know, struggled to survive this situation that they're left in, mm-hmm. probably losing big fat racist Captain Boomerang um, and uh, no-name Enchantress along the way. That's my theory. Played by the uh, Australian Jai Courtney, Jai Courtney and yeah. Cara Delevingne, of course. He's a big name in real life and she's yeah. only beginning to break in the movies. Uh, yeah, I, I, I also compared, I said on Twitter, that it feels, and we're, we're two films in the DC universe, and already they're breaking out the big A-list stars, which is something Marvel have never done. But I think it's an interesting 
different approach. This is a film filled with characters apart from the Joker that you don't know. Mm. Not really. Uh, Lex Luthor may be in there as well. Uh, but you don't really know these characters, so it makes sense to have Will Smith, one of the biggest movie stars on the planet, and Tom Hardy. Presumably the reason why he didn't, he was rumoured linked with Apocalypse in the X-Men Apocalypse movie, which went to Oscar Isaac. Presumably this movie was the reason he didn't do that. I think it's interesting. I think David Ayer, the script must be really great as well. You just, yeah. you'd, have, you'd have to say that. Jared Leto, as the Joker, I think is good casting. It's a hell of a risk. You know, Heath Ledger's performance is indelible, it's still stamped in everyone's minds. There's so much emotion attached to his performance as well. Jack Nicholson before that was a fantastic. Cesar Romero less so. <laughs> I, know, I, think, I think it's a great, yeah. great piece of casting that because, first of all, you need somebody with, uh, frankly, balls of steel and nothing to prove. And I think Jared Leto would probably fit into both of those categories. Like, he's he's genuinely cool enough that he doesn't care if you don't like it. Uh, which yeah. is a big, which is a big head start. And secondly, um, yeah, he can do something that is sufficiently different from both of those iconic performances in yes. the past. And, and it, I'm not going to say that Jared Leto is weird, no. but I'm going to say he's offbeat. He's unusual and unique. And I think the Joker needs that. The Joker needs to behave in a way that is unlike any human being you've met. I think Jared Leto is good casting, indeed. And from Suicide Squad to. More Marvel casting news. This is a confirmation that Benedict Cumberbatch has been cast as Doctor Strange in Doctor Strange. That's right. It was rumoured weeks ago, but clearly it just took them a long time to get him in a room and sign on the line that is dotted. Correct. Yeah. Good casting? Very good. Yeah. It would have been better if they'd cast someone from the feature I wrote saying eight with nine people they should have cast for Doctor Strange. Which I wrote about a month ago. Who did you who did you put um, in? There? Everyone was on that list apart from Benedict Cumberbatch. Because, because you had insider I'm knowledge terrib- and you didn't want to tip your hand? Yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Mm, I thought maybe I'd throw a curveball with my great Mumford from the Muppets suggestion. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Was Marcus Mumford on the list as well? No, it wasn't just people called Mumford. Oh really? It was okay. there was a magic there had to be a magical connection, which is again why Paul Daniels was there. Paul Daniels would have been an amazing Doctor Strange. What about the Great Soprendo? Great Soprendo didn't make it. No? no. What about Martin Daniels? Um, oh, who is that? Paul Daniels' son. Is he? Magician and entertainer. How do you not know? Oh, this? I didn't know that. How do you not? Oh, know I don't this? know. I didn't know that. I didn't know he had. I didn't know magic ran in the family like that. He's like his dad, but not as talented. And if you took the hair of Buck's fizz, all of Buck's fizz, and put it on Paul Daniels' face, yeah, that's Martin Daniels. This is good casting. He's a very, very good actor. It's interesting that he's signing up for. Uh, another franchise because Doctor Strange we know will be in many other Marvel movies Uh, I wonder if he's going to show up first in his actual own movie or whether like Black Panther he's going to show up in Captain America Civil War or even Avengers Age of Ultron who knows Phil who knows (laughs) well I guess hopefully Kevin Feige Hopefully Kevin Feige and hopefully Scott Derrickson, the director. The well. director. Yeah. I think it's, it seems it seems there seems to be some some negativity around it on the internet if you there look is, closely enough. But, but I, you know what this is? This is that old thing of building someone up and knocking them down. And people, some people on the internet uh, seem to be a little sick. It's almost as if there's been some sort of Benedict Cumberbatch overexposure. And yes, he is in a lot of things and he's been everywhere. But he's a great actor and seems like a really lovely guy. Why would we be sore about hmm. getting to see more of him? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I Doctor Strange a bit like Suicide Squad kind of needs a big name, doesn't it? it needs big names. It does. I, I would argue, though, that Benedict Cumberbatch is not the A-list star, for example, that Tom Hardy or Will Smith are for Suicide Squad. He's still, I think, at that sort of Marvel level of he's a guy, you know him, uh, we'll put him in the movie, uh, and maybe that'll make him 
the big, 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 huge star. He's he's massive. And obviously, if you mention Benedict Cumberbatch in the tweet, or you you know, you've, you've hashtag Benedict Cumberbatch on Twitter, goes nuts. Or, or you know, and there's loads, and loads of memes of Benedict Cumberbatch, but he hasn't opened a film yet. You know what I mean? He hasn't no. really done that. He hasn't really had that huge movie hit under his belt. Obviously, he's Sherlock, and obviously, he was in Star Trek: The Darkness, but. You can't no. attribute the success of that film solely to him. So, if you plot his tra- trajectory, yeah, that's a difficult word to say in the morning. It is um, from Atonement when he first caught the eye to now. I mean, it is you know he's heading at speed into into that sort of terrain. I would say mm. into the stratosphere. So Marvel probably are well aware of that, and they want to hitch their hitch their wagon to somebody who's moving in that direction. Um, yeah. Got- so yeah, good. 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 I, got, I got a tweet this morning. Did you? Uh, from s- at City Harbor eighteen, uh, because obviously we recorded this all. We recorded the whole the whole podcast on Friday, not on Thursday. No, no matter what you may say, we haven't just come in LeBeau to talk about Benedict Cumberbatch and Doctor Strange specifically. That's that's disabuse people of that notion. Anyway, City Harbor eighteen says started for ten. Okay, mm-hmm. has now given Marvel not the MCU but Marvel films Professor X. <laughs> Uh, James McAvoy, obviously. Maya Hansen, um, Rebecca Hall, of course, in Iron Man 3. Howard Stark, <laughs> uh, Dominic Cooper in uh, in Captain America, and uh, Agent Carter. And now Doctor Strange. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's really interesting to me. It's like, it feels to me almost like the patient zero of superhero movies. It feels yes. like, so I began to wonder, what's, this, what's the movie, pre-superhero movies, that has the highest interesting. Uh, proportion of... Of people who went on to become Avengers and whatnot, hmm. it might be starter for ten. That might be the sort of the nexus of the superhero universe. Of course, Bamba Gascoigne was the original choice for Iron Man, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. He was. He was the original inspiration for Arnim Sola in so many ways. <laughs> wow! I actually, I had that conversation with with uh, with I had that conversation with Gratuitous name drop. Um, Toby Jones asking about Adam Zoda and I'd say that you know he could actually be in the in this exist in the same universe as Captain Mannering from Dad's Army. Wow. And he was like you're dead right he could. He could. They they could sort of coexist. They could cross over. I'd love to see that. Dad's Army versus Hydra. Hydra. <laughs> Star Wars Trader what's there to say about the Star Wars Trader you haven't heard uh, people say a million times we've already said it made us feel like kids. Yeah. 88 seconds. I've watched it loads. Yeah. Helen, you loved it? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I was on a set visit underground and had to uh, look to my watch. It was like, I'm sorry, guys, I've got to step up upstairs for a minute and get some phone signal right here. Uh, it's it's really exciting. It looks like Star Wars. It feels like Star Wars. Um, I love the ball droid. Um, he's a baller. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, Boyega and Ridley look right. I mean, we can't say yeah. any more about them yeah. at this point. Uh, I am a huge fan of Oscar Isaac, so seeing him behind the controls of an X-Wing is exciting. Yeah. And also just like X-Wing... You know, doing a sort of Dime Busters run and, you know, Millennium Falcon dogfighting in a planetary atmosphere. It's mm. cool. This yeah. is exciting stuff. Interesting there was no space in the Star no, Wars trailer. That was interesting. And also, I, I, I like the fact that J.J. Abrams has withheld um, Han, Luke and Leia and yeah. Chewie yeah. Uh, for the time being. Because that was an initial rumour as well that they were going to flash up at some point in the in the. Uh, the teaser. I think it's good to get us excited about the uh, the new guys. Yeah. And then, you know, show us what, what has happened to the old guys uh, yeah. down the line. Uh, of course, we, we dissected the trailer, as did everyone else, in forensic detail. Do go to the Empire website to check out our coverage of the Star Wars uh, trailer. And I imagine there'll be another one in about six or seven months for us to all go gaga over Yay. as well. Just felt very confident to me, which I think is encouraging. Like to open with 
just desert space and hold the shot for a good couple of seconds before John Boyega's head appears in frame. Mm. That just feels like com- that's just exuded a confidence. You know, mm. it wasn't rushing anything. It was it knew what it wanted to do and it did it brilliantly. I thought. Okay, and that's it for the movie news. And now it's time to welcome Mr. Jude Law to the podcast. He is, of course, one of our finest actors. You'll have seen him in pretty much everything over the last few years, but he pops up this week as a lead in Kevin McDonald's tense submarine thriller Black Sea, in which he and a group of scurvy character actors search for gold under, well, under the Black Sea, I guess. He came in recently and he spoke to Phil. Phil, do you want to set up Black Sea anymore? What, what, oh, what do Black people sea. need to know? Uh, it's a submarine film, you just said that. It's directed by yep. Kevin McDonald. Um, who has made films like Touching the Void, the documentary, yes. and um, he has also made a film about Bob Marley, a good documentary about Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was Marley his, and Me, wasn't it? I was uh, really like that one. No, 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 no. It was no? just called No, no, no. There was no Me. There was no dog. Just Bob Marley called Marley. He has made some feature feature films as well. He's also made he also made The Last King of Scotland, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen. Um, and this film stars uh, people like Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, and uh, Michael Smiley mm. and of course Jude Law it's got some some strong Russian actors in it as well yeah I know you're, you're going to be reviewing it later on so don't, yeah, yeah, don't no, you know. okay won't give too much more away and we recorded it underwater hence the sound is a bit yes. squiffy so apologies for that yes we should say this is a very this is actually a serious apology um, we there are slight sound difficulties with this not not huge you can make up what everyone's saying but it just might be a little loud little just little peaky it might be a little sorry but yeah but uh, it's still a very fun interview so do enjoy to congratulate you on Black Sea for two reasons. One, it's a taut, tense submarine thriller, mm. um, and it kind of grips you throughout. Good, but also, you make a cable knit jumper totally badass, <laughs> which is no easy <laughs> the task. Blue one. I love that. It's a good uh, jumper. Gee, I don't know. You think I, about how launching. do I do that? That was probably you're right. That was probably the the, the greatest achievement of this whole <laughs> film. Jeans and a cable knit. But also, anything with a nautical t- touch, you've got to have the cable knit in there somewhere, haven't you? Ideally. Lots in the script, I'm sure, that I tried to do straight away. And a great cast of, yeah. of, of top character actors. Yeah, yeah. You play a Scotsman, mm. the best Scottish accent in a submarine film since The Hunt for Red October and Sean Connery. Playing a Russian. Playing a Russian, who sounds like he's from... <laughs> I was reading on IMDb that you're... I, I don't want to miss any. Great-great-grandmother was Scottish. Is that true? No. I'm so That's full of... so weird. It's so full of crap. Who's written that? Uh, it's IMDb. I don't no, know what to say. My mother's you. Welsh. But first of all, you're absolutely right. It was, a, it, it, it's, it's a, it was a great script. And there was so much that appealed to me. There's a sort of massive social commentary to the whole piece wrapped up within a heist movie which is also a kind of thriller because you're on a submarine if anything goes wrong it's curtains so the tension level is already there but there's a kind of social drama too in that these are desperate men with you know with with massive skill sets but kind of unwanted by society being screwed over by the banker the american banker Mm. who's kind of plotting to steal it all anyway so there are all these layers to it kevin who's a great director Mm. uh, and i've been a massive admirer of his feature films and of his documentaries we were working early on at creating the backstory for robinson and it seemed to make sense that he have this kind of gravitas and this sort of background that give him a sense of both growing up by the sea but also kind of don't mess with me earthiness and scott because kevin mcdonald's scottish it just felt like we were in i was in safe hands and i was like okay if i fall will you catch me mm-hmm. uh right and so we set him in uh we 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 we, we made him a scott yeah so would he just say 
Gee, that was pish. If you yes, get it wrong. Basically. Right. Uh, or, or hold me back in to redo little bits. Like, mm, listen to this one. I think you dropped it there. Getting through those hatches at speed. Yeah. Were there any sort of accidents early doors? Luckily not, because it was unforgiving metal. I mean, you, if you ever hit anything, it hurt because everything's sharp or just very solid. There were no accidents. None at all? No. Wow. None, luckily. I was thinking watching it that... You know, the, the cast was great, as I mentioned. You know, people like Michael Smiley, Ben Mendelsohn's fantastic. Mm. Scooby Neri. All you guys together in a con- very confined space, a bit like Aliens, or yes, a bit like yes. Alien almost. It's going to sound maybe a bit highfalutin, but your theatrical background helped because hitting your marks and it's sort of balletic, I guess, having to get around this really tight to space. To be honest, that the, pr- the pressure was more on Chris Ross, our, our, our DP and camera operator, because he was the one kind of weaving in and in between us all. And uh, it's interesting that you bring up the, my, my, my background in theatre, but I was at the time I was doing prep as well for Henry V, which I went on to play just after I filmed this. And in my preparation for Henry, I suddenly realised that there were slight strands of him to Robinson, leading men to battle uh, and rousing speeches to mm. both, ra- you know, to get them to follow him and then also to die with him if needs be. Mm. And it kind of worked. Henry V wasn't such a class warrior, though, as, as No, so, well, certainly not. With Robinson, tinges of Ahab, Mm. You know, and uh, I can't remember the name of the character, but Hearts of Darkness, you know, the idea of going on a, a kind of journey to hell mm. uh, and, and being driven almost to madness in order to to, to, to fulfill the goal. Yeah. Well, it has bits of that and it has bits of Treasure of Sierra Madre. Truly, and lots that was of, a massive inspiration. Yes, I can imagine. And, you know, in terms of great submarine movies, what is better out of Das Boot or Crimson Tide? Oh, Das Boot, hands down. Oh, Okay. I was going to say, there's actually no correct answer to that question. I, I think that's boot, hands down. Although I have to say, Run Silent, Run Deep right. is a pretty bloody a good, good submarine movie. Yes. So th- if it's back to Jude Laws to watch Dust Boot, is it the nine-hour version? Or yeah, why not? This year has been, you've been super busy. Next year you're going to be super busy. No, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Do you not? I, I don't. Well, you've been linked with, obviously, the King Arthur. Guy yeah. Richie's King no, Arthur. No, is, no. That, is that not? That's a rumour. Because they're saying you're the bad guy. That's a rumour. Oh, huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's obviously a rumour you can't really elaborate on, but I think every time we've spoken to you, we've pestered you about Sherlock 3. I know, I wish I could elaborate can, you've more. Had, can you tell us, you've had meetings, right? We've had meetings. Can you tell us what, those, what happened in those meetings? What did you, uh, were there like tea and biscuits and a chat? What we did or? was sit around and basically throw about ideas for where and what could happen next. They involved Guy and Lionel, the producer, and Downey and me, and we would basically, you know, pen down and dream up stupid scenarios, draw in, obviously, Conan Doyle stories that we knew could maybe integrate or weave together and whatever. I mean, there's a lot of will mm. to make it happen. And there's obviously each other's schedules and other 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 commitments and then also getting the script right. I mean, there's yeah. no point doing it if we go backwards. I wonder what those meetings are like. Is it like there's no such thing as a bad idea or if someone comes yes. up something really outlandish, you like, oh, no, we, we, that's so yeah, thick. We do totally shout each other down <laughs> and laugh in each other's faces. Equally, there is no, there's no, there's nothing like a bad, there's no such thing as a bad idea. You know, people are allowed to come up with the most outlandish and, and it's like, hear me out. Hear me out, I'm going somewhere with this. Perhaps surprisingly, I'm probably guilty of coming up with the most outlandish. Can you share one of them? I can't, no. It's all, I guess, in the room. Yes, okay, I'm going to. It involved time travel. (laughs) (laughs) We can see, we can, I reckon we could go with you on that film. Interstellar is kind of taking us in that direction. You could, in space, or just... I'm not going to say anymore because I'm embarrassed. Oh, you shouldn't be. A spy you are in. Yes. Can you, what can you, are you playing a spy? What can you tell us? It's a comedy. We're pretty much all spies in Spy. 
uh, and it's a film about spies. One of the weirdest and most exotic casts. I've, uh, there was this one day towards the end where I was looking around and there was Melissa McCarthy, uh, Miranda Hart, 50 Cent, <laughs> Jason Statham, and me. And you just thought, I, you was like, blimey, this is bizarre. Who would put us lot together in a balloon? You know, but somehow it worked. And Paul and Melissa are an extraordinary pair to watch at work. They are so... Uh, adaptable and open and spontaneous to getting the best and funniest situation and they talk about uh, no such thing as a bad idea I mean they'll go with stuff until they like they'll drill the hell out of it until they find gold tell me that Miranda and the Stath got on like a house on fire yes I think they did yeah I tell you who really got on though Miranda and Fiddy <laughs> really yeah <laughs> she kept calling him Mr. Scent <laughs> what do, you, do you know what you're supposed to call him <laughs> Fiddy. Yeah, Fiddy, okay. Well, 50. Fiddy. I had to ask you about the gold ingots. Did you mm. get to keep one? I did keep one, yes. Did you? It's okay. not real. Oh. It keeps my. It keeps a, a row of books up in my office. Did you ever look at that pile of $186 million worth of gold ingots and think that's like a... That's what a blockbuster costs. That's. I guess that's what... What, what Sherlock, You could make Sherlock 3 with that. That's true. I should have nicked it. Damn. Yeah, but it's not gold. What's the best thing that you've kept from one of your movies? And... I guess you probably take things and maybe squirrel them away and forget. Do you keep anything from, say, Enemy at the Gates? Or uh, Yeah, I've got an original... Uh, I can't, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of the hat? The hat. The hat with the, with the uh, ear, ear pieces. But it's rare because for the first couple of years of the war, they insisted on the star still being red but they, the the um, Nazis could pick it out and used to actually use it something to aim at. So my one's green. Oh. Um, and they were turned green eventually towards the end of the war. But they were very rare, very rare to find those, and they gave me that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, that was a good little souvenir. I got to keep the bone gun from Existence. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's quite cool. You could open your own, basically, sort of memorabilia <laughs> shop. Website, yeah. Website. <laughs> if it all goes wrong, that's exactly what I'll be doing. <laughs> well, um, anyway, I got to ask you just a couple of Christmassy things because this is going to be it's a Christmas movie in the sense it's got gold in it I you know it, Can't see it's not else. got any frankincense Nazi frankincense no, is it? but no but um it's coming out in Christmas I wonder what your Christmas movie would be I love it's a wonderful life just hits the mark every time you watch it and I went to a great screening of it once down in uh the arches on in South London where they'd kind of filled it with pine trees and you took in hot chocolate and got served like mince pies and it was glorious. I took the kids, that was the first time the kids saw it on the big screen. It was fantastic. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one. I love Trading Places. That's weirdly Christmassy because it is set at Christmas, don't forget. Yeah. Great scene of Dan Aykroyd just as Santa eating the smoked salmon through his beard. Bad Santa's a good film. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen Christmas it in a while movies. actually. Obviously we lost Mike Nichols yesterday. Yeah. Mike Nichols died yesterday. You worked with him on Closer. Yeah. I wonder what your sort of abiding memory of him was. If you have a strong collection, I really such a naughty, impish smile. Uh, he's an amazing raconteur. He was the best company at dinner and on set, and just fantastic, honest, naughty stories. Uh, very candid and very open man. And I was just so incredibly lucky to be a very small part of a dazzling career I mean a legacy of films and comedy and theatre that is pretty unmatchable I mean he's one of the few who won an Oscar Grammy Emmy and a Tony uh, yeah I mean yeah. He, an incredible talent and a darling lovely brilliant man 
did you get a sense of because the, the way people have talked about him is someone that was able to capture each zeitgeist that yes, he, that's in true. his life with from from the graduate even yeah. before and closer was part of that obviously yeah. he captured a certain moment in, in time in london yeah um did you get a sense acting for him why he was able to do that you know it, it, weirdly personally and maybe it's only because i just worked with him once he was slightly enigmatic in that way you know what I mean? It was like he, perhaps because he was just open. I think you can't underestimate his intellect. He was incredibly bright. Mm. Uh, and, you know, sort of deflected that sometimes through his incredible humour. Um, but, but on the whole was clearly incredibly brilliant and observant and open. Mm. Uh, and I think he found his way in to projects in an interesting way. I know that a big influence on this film was the Damien Rice song that he used at the beginning and the end. And so, at the time, that was a really, really relevant song and everyone kind of, whoa, was blown away by this new young guy uh, on the on the music scene. And for him, at, I think he was 70 then, to sort of pick up on that and thematically use it in his new movie, had some way of plugging into what was relevant and going on and somehow uh, uh, reflective of the film. Yeah, so just had his mind open to the world. Very, very last quick question. The line from Don Hemingway yeah. that sticks with you the most. Uh, Do you have one? I'm a fan of, I should fucking kill you, but I fancy a pint instead. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me with a javelin. That's quite funny. Or poor man's key before he smashes a window is quite funny. Uh, God, there are so many. The one that always made me laugh was, fuck off, Dickie, you fucking fuck. Go fuck yourself. There you go. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Jude. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. <laughs> okay, let's start talking about this week's movie releases with Black Sea, shall we? Phil. Black Sea is one of those kind of old school men on a mission movies, sweaty, clammy, subsea adventure boy's own type thing um it's directed by kevin mcdonald who has obviously directed uh documentaries and feature films and has a kind of documentary style which i think works really well with this the story that's bare bones is jude law has been laid off from his job as a salvage guy who gathers a team to find some nazi gold at the bottom of the crimean or the black sea Otherwise, it'd be called Crimean Sea, wouldn't it? Yes. To find some gold at the bottom of the Black Sea. Uh, and he collects a group, a crew, half British, Scottish, half yes. Russian. So there's some obvious points of friction. He's also right. got Ben Mendelssohn, who's a lunatic, uh, not in real life, <laughs> in the film. So some obvious points of, you know, he is actually a psycho. I think at one point he says, I am a psycho. Um, is this and, before or after he gets in the submarine? Because if I was doing a job interview and he, someone said to me, pretty I'm, a, much, I'm a psycho, no, mate. You say that there's a line where they go, we need that guy. He's nuts and a psychopath and he'll probably kill some of us, but he's the best there is. <laughs> so we've got to take him. He's the best there is at killing some of he's, us. So, okay, on the one hand, he's good at submarine stuff. On the other hand, he'll probably slaughter trust during or before or after we get the gold. But we'll take the chance. So it's that kind of movie. It's a bit preposterous, mm. but it, it, it knows it's a bit preposterous and it's kind of fun with it. There's some good sequences at the bottom of the, of the, bottom of the sea. Rust bucket, uh, old crappy old submarine that they take is... Uh, is, is a character in itself and the way that they all kind of, you know, the claustrophobia and the clammy tension kind of gets under your skin. But Kevin McDonald is, I think, a very good, very, very uh, adroit filmmaker. He keeps it rattling along nicely. And, um, you know, some of the character beats are a little, you know, 
perhaps not as sophisticated as they could be. It's not yeah. Das Boot. It hasn't got nine hours to get to know <laughs> these people, but it knows what it's doing and it does it very effectively and we've given it four stars. Is it a laundry list of submarine movie cliches? You know what? It's funny. We t- talked about that with, with, um, with Jude Law. Uh, you know, there's no pinging. There's no bit where he says up periscope or down periscope or... Down Periscope, of course, being the greatest submarine movie of all time. Yes. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's also Kelsey Grammer's fourth best film. <laughs> what even is the point of this if there's no pinging? <laughs> there's no pinging. There's no pinging whatsoever. There's no bit where there's a ship... Actually, no, there sort of almost is a bit where a ship passes over and there's, they're all staring sweatily at each other, just sweating quietly. Uh, but it does, it does tap, try and tap into the same, the same kind of uh, men on a mission... Right. Uh, uh, sort of vibe as, you know, for instance, Wages of Fear, uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre, mm. those sorts of films. It's perhaps not really on that level, but mm. it, but it's it's a very passable night at the cinema. Sounds great to me. Four stars for Black Sea. That's a meaty sub for you to get your teeth into. And now, here to rant about Jason Reitman's Men, Women and Children, <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. I really didn't like this. I gave it two stars. And the more I think about it, the more cross I am. I didn't give it one. So this is an adaptation of a novel, which I haven't read, but I presume is very bad because the film is so awful. It's, it's about a bunch of, of parents and kids and their interactions with one another and with technology. It seems to be trying to be uh, balanced and subtle but at the same time genuinely terrified of tech and everything and the internet and everything it brings with it the broadest character cliches seem to be used throughout you can absolutely tell from day one exactly how and everybody is going to end uh, the film and you can absolutely be sure that everyone is going to get what's coming to them because this has no subtlety whatsoever it is nearly impossible to believe that this is from the guy who made juno um Particularly, particularly if you compare Jennifer Garner's uh, characters in both, because I think she is the best character in Juno by a mile. She is heartbreakingly good in that, you know, simultaneously incredibly vulnerable and incredibly controlled, and it's just wonderful. And she is the worst character here. She's obsessed with controlling her daughter's access to technology, and of course you can see conflict coming as a result. Um, as well as being preachy and incoherent, um, this also doesn't seem to understand how a lot of this stuff works, which just makes it even more annoying that you're being preached to. So the reason I give it two instead of one is that the cast actually do a, f- a pretty good job with what they're given. Um, they're given rubbish, but they do a good <laughs> job with it. And it's a really good cast. I mean, you've got people like, obviously, Garner, um, Judy Greer, J.K. Simmons, Emma Thompson narrates, Rosemary DeWitt, Dennis Haysbert, Dean Norris, Caitlin Deaver, who was so good in Short Term 12, uh, Ansel Elgort, who is, you know, I know, you know, he's the young hot teen now after The Fault in Our Stars, but he's really good in this. Adam Sandler is good, but mm. it is just bad. It's a terrible, terrible film. I don't like it. I don't know what's happened. Jason Reitman, I think, is I really like him as a filmmaker. He's made Thank You for Smoking, I love. Yeah, brilliant. Juno, you know, very, very good. This one on Labor Day, yeesh, clunky. And this one feels like dad dancing as far as the internet's concerned. I mean, I, I would imagine he'd be so much more plugged into the way things are and yeah. social media and but it doesn't seem to be you're right it doesn't really understand a lot of this stuff and Jennifer Garner's character is the most irritating person I've seen on a movie screen for such a long time and she just doesn't feel believable at all none of that stuff really uh, I just it didn't feel authentic yeah. and like the Judy Greer character's arc I mean you could see that a mile away I could see the Ansel El- Elgort's character arc from minute one I mean you know, he practically had it tattooed on his forehead. Just really, really underperforming. Bad. Bad. Bad film. Stop it. 
Uh, two stars for men, women and children, but I think, as you just heard, really, it's a one. Uh, also out this week, it's only the bloody penguins of Madagascar. Ooh, I like Hooray! It. Oh, my word. <laughs> so, yeah, so this uh, they've always been the best part of Madagascar, uh, the penguins of Madagascar. The, the monkeys are good too, but the penguins are tip-top, in my opinion. Um, Madagascar 3 was a bit of a return to form for the series, but this is, for my money, even better than Madagascar 3. I thought it was really, really funny and charming. And clever. Um, so it has the the penguin troop that we know, mm-hmm. um, basically. Uh, st- well, it's a kind of their story throughout. So it basically, starts off with them as eggs, how they got together, or one of them as an egg, the other three as chicks. Um, how they set off on their own and left Antarctica, um, and then we see them. We we sort of pick up with them during the Afro party at the end of Madagascar three. Oh, okay. We see them leaving the other animals. Yes. And then it gets into their adventure with spy organization, the North Wind, led by Benedict Cumberbatch, um, and as Agent Classified, as they call him. <laughs> um, and they are fighting a terrifying evil um, called Dave the Octopus, um, played by John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. There are some brilliantly <laughs> stupid jokes in this. I mean, just, you know, because the, the penguins, the joy of the penguins has always been that they're very sure of their mission and completely ignorant of everything else. Yeah. Um, but, and that remains the case here, but they are fabulously, wondrously ignorant. Um, and, and it really actually surprisingly works. So I had hmm. a blast. I love the penguins. I haven't seen this film, but uh, Madagascar 3, I absolutely adore yeah. that film. It has jokes of every shape and size. That's a good movie. Yeah. yeah. And, can, and uh, can I also say that I am known in the Empire office as a penguin hater. Do you hate You penguins? are. I am, because I hated March... Well, I didn't hate March of Penguins. I disliked it because of the anthropomorphization of penguins. And I didn't like Happy Feet because penguin singing makes no sense, people. What are you and thinking? Also, in fairness, Happy Feet films are awful terrifying and scary yeah. whereas Surf's Up I like and this <clears> I like so um, I'm now 50-50 on Penguin movie. Benedict Cumberbatch Penguin alert to how many times does he say penguin <laughs> penguin penguin he certainly doesn't quite say penguin I can tell you that much yeah. Um, but yeah it's uh, it's kind of cute as well and again his character is pleasantly frustrated with him the whole way through because he is the highly trained spy he should be able to outwit these dim birds and yet they, they keep doing things right Amazing. He's the only man in the world that can't pronounce the word penguin, and yet here he is. And yet he as can Graham say, Norton pointed out on his show. Yeah. Um, and it's hilarious. And yet he can say his own name. Uh, yeah, he can say his own name. Yeah. It's probably a little. Well, well I can't say it. Benelin Cumberbund can say it. That was amazing. Bobbly boo, copy No, I can't say it. But penguin. Yes, I'm all over that. You're good at penguin. Three stars for the penguins of Madagascar, which is, as always, a recommendation. Uh, and last but not least this week, you don't normally associate Wong Kar Wai with barnstorming action sequences, but that's exactly what he delivers in The Grandmaster, isn't it, Philip? Yes, it is. Excellent, let's move on. Or oh, you, no, tell me, no, hold no, on, say hold more on, about hold on. it. A bit more, say okay. a bit more. Wong Kar Wai, if you've seen uh, In the Mood for Love, you'll know that this man is one of the great stylists of our time. If you haven't seen In the Mood for Love, you have to watch that immediately. Yes. And um, Chunking Express. Mm-hmm. Everything he's done has a, a really, really, really definitive, graceful, balletic style. So you'd think actually doing an action movie about about Ip Man, uh, the martial arts genius, um, mm. might, you know, you can see how that would, you know, gel nicely together. I think where this film falls down and the action sequences are phenomenal, it's always raining outside. <laughs> um, it's like London. He's dressed a little bit like uh, Michael Jackson in... Um, 
Smooth criminal. Thank you. In Smooth Criminal, as he just unleashes... <laughs> <laughs> like Michael Jackson in... Smooth criminal. And he unleashes hell in the most astonishingly choreographed uh, action... I say dance sequences. I mean, they are pretty much dance sequences and they're beautiful and... Um, Mesmeri- mesmerically filmed. I think maybe where this film isn't quite so strong is is in the in the biopic nature. It's a bit meat and two veg. It's a bit kind of this is the man's story. It goes through the the war against the Japanese and the evil Japanese turn up, um, and then the aftermath of the war and a, and, a, and, a, and this heartbreaking romance that he has, and it kind of feels like a bit of a you know where a lot of biopics go, just you know. Point one, point two, point three, kind of thing. But the it's punctuated by phenomenal action sequences, and it takes you up to Bruce Lee, who was his protege. Mm. Um, so if you love action sequences, or you like Wong Kar Wai's style, um, you like action kung fu movies, uh, check it out. We've given it four stars. But do you think Wong Kar Wai purists, so to speak, will be put off by the fact that this is this has got action in it? Do I think Wong Kar Wai purists will be put off by it? Yeah. Um, no, because because it coheres is there's a clear kind of one car Wai stamp on this film it isn't mm. it isn't a, a Zhang Mu action movie in that sense it isn't a big outdoorsy mm. historical fantastical adventure it's very much of a, a character study of this guy that has um beautifully choreographed action sequences mm. um so i don't think so i think one car Wai fans will 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 get a lot out of it I, to me it's not really up there with in the mood for love i i don't know if a biopic is necessarily the best subject for one car why yeah potentially I, yeah. I think he's got more of a he needs to be freed from the from the constrictions of having to follow a man's life he's more of a visualist and has this incredibly fertile kind of creative imagination and, and sometimes you feel like you're a bit on tracks with a biopic because you have to go through a guy's life mm-hmm. um i i was a little frustrated at times with that but um you know tony lung Mon Kar Wai, you know, you go and see those films if you're into, if you're into hit cinema. Absolute mundo. Uh, right, four stars in for the Grandmaster, and also out this week we have Saint Vincent, which stars Bill Murray. He is fantastic in it. The rest of the film, sadly, not so good, but it's it's okay. Three stars for Saint Vincent, and kids' film Get Santa, directed weirdly enough by Christopher Smith, the guy behind Triangle and Creep and Severance. <laughs> He's switched gears. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's about Santa, played by Jim Broadbent, who goes to prison. <laughs> which seems funny in itself. Sadly, we didn't find it that funny. We gave it two stars. Two stars for Get Santa, which I mean, guess means if you really want to go see a great family film, Paddington's still out there. Paddington. And Paddington did really well this week. It won number one at the box office, five million opening weekend. Yeah. Fantastic. If you haven't gone and seen Paddington, go and see Paddington. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. And we'll be joined by Evangeline Nilly star of The Hobbit, of course, and the forthcoming Ant-Man, but she'll be here to talk primarily about her new book, her new children's book, The Squicker Wonkers. Very, very interesting. Hmm. I think it is interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Getting, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. She's uh, deviating, branching out. And also British actor Benedict Wong, who's one of our favourite 27 presenters. You'll have seen him in the likes of uh, Sunshine and Prometheus and the uh, IT crowd. Pops in to talk about his new Netflix uh, show, Marco Polo, in which he plays... Marco... Kubla Khan. Kubla Khan. Kubla Khan. In which he plays Kubla Khan. So that's uh, also going to be fun. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off down the bookmakers to put money on Christoph Waltz turning out to be Blofeld after all. Bit of a punt. Just might pay off. See you guys next week. Bye.